Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Luke Wilson coming to you from my backyard here with Snoop Dogg and Will Farrell. Welcome to Host Chief and Deputy. Hello, this is Matthew McConaughey coming to you from my ranch down in Kilgore, Texas. Everybody take your shirts off because it's another episode of Host, Chief, and Deputy coming your way. I'll tell you what, Al, this is Chris Collinsworth coming to you here from the Sunday Night Booth. Really excited for the new episode of Host, Chief, and Deputy, starring a guy named Vasily Larikos, the Greek freak as they call him, and Kyle Boober. Take it away, guys. All right, the fellows are back. Host chief and deputy, uh, you know, the illustrious intro, obviously taking, you know, care of my work that I have to do here. So uh, my name is Jake Luke. I'm the only one that uh, was not introduced there, but I will now once again reintroduce you guys, Kyle and Voss. How's it going? Doing good. The intro gets better every time. It really does. I I enjoy it more thoroughly each and every time I hear it. Um, I have gone back and replayed it a couple of times just to get a laugh. So uh, full appreciation for it. You know, I think I have too, and nobody laughs at their own jokes more than I do. So that definitely makes <laughs> sense that, of course, I would be doing that. But uh, here we are, New Year, 2021. First episode of Host Chief and Deputy in 2021. How does that feel? I'm excited about it. Um, it's even more exciting now that we uh, have postseason football on the horizon for the Baltimore Ravens. This wouldn't be as fun of an episode had they lost this last game or had missed out on the playoffs due to uh, not being able to control their own destiny. But all that is moot because uh, the Ravens are in, they're in the dance, and there's nothing more exciting than playoff football. Absolutely. New year for the uh, the world, obviously, and new, new season for the Ravens. A uh, bit of an up and down season, but at the end of the day, they have a fighter's chance now. Absolutely. Uh, before we also get into all that, did want to quickly offer up a few words uh, on the passing of Marcus Weish, who is a uh, great member of Ravens Twitter, just a really positive, fun guy who uh, I think he was a, a fan of this program to some extent. Uh, I had a couple interactions with him. Uh, just a very positive, uh, just one of those guys that, you know, a, a very good person you can tell in a lot of different ways. So I just wanted to say a couple words from him. I don't know if you guys had any interactions with him at all, but uh, I was saddened to hear that he had been battling cancer for a little bit. So uh it is certainly, uh, you know, tough to see that kind of kind of thing happen to somebody. But uh, just wanted to, uh, I think, like I said, he was a fan of this program. So just wanted to uh, throw some words out there for him. Yeah, um, I interacted with uh, 
Marcus quite a few times. He was super polite. Um, he was always, he loves the Baltimore Ravens, he lo- you know, and, uh, and he was really just a nice and kind person when interacting with him on social media, when act- interacting with him on uh, uh, the website itself. Um, you know, even Jeff Z was on there uh, when he found out about the news of it. And Jeff even said, you know, Marcus was such a good man, terrible news, all the best to his family. You know, he was, I think he was beloved as a, uh, as a fan and figure uh, among social media and blogs of, uh, in journalism pertaining to the Baltimore Ravens and uh, rest in peace and all my best wishes to his family. Amen. Amen. Yes. I also interacted with him on social a little bit and, uh, Definitely seemed like a great guy. Uh, we'll miss him for sure. Absolutely. So moving on from that, what do you guys have here on the docket to talk about on this uh, little quarterly show that we've gotten into a good rhythm with? Uh, very much of the similar vein of our episodes. We're going to do you know the quick review of the last four games. We're going to talk about the wins. Uh, fortunately, they're all wins, which is really enjoyable to talk about. Uh, we're going to go through our coaching analysis, some winners and losers, and maybe talk about the postseason. Uh, anything I need to add there, Voss? No, that's it. We'll keep it uh, nice and tight and informative, hopefully. Perfect. I'm all about it. Now, we're going to start off with the game review. Let's go through the first one, which was the game of the year. The Baltimore Ravens and Cleveland Browns faced off and on national television put up a spectacle for the ages, a 47-42 victory for the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, I I found this to be the catalyst for the season's change. Uh, Jackson was called upon, and he delivered uh, all the chaos of uh, him being injured, him dealing with cramps, Trace McSorley being on the field, him injuring his knee on a third and short. There was fourth down. Lamar had to come back in, and he shows up. He, He met the moment, and that's enormous. And uh, in all those play, you know, all those plays aside, he had to call upon the Ravens did anyways, uh, Justin Tucker in those final moments. And he trotted out there and reminded everybody that he is the greatest of all time, hitting a huge 55 yard kick and uh, and proved that this team was deserving of getting into the playoffs. And that was, like I mentioned, the catalyst for the season's change. Voss, what did you take away from this matchup? scintillating game one of those games where you can't fall asleep for hours when you really want to afterwards but the ravens haven't had one of those in prime time in a while uh i guess probably new england last year but that was more of a blowout this one was back and forth just so exciting with the two minute warning and lamar comes out of the tunnel and immediately hits a touchdown fourth and long absolutely it was a catalyst it's a springboard highest point total of the season that's when the offense kind of got out fully out of that midseason slump, and it has propelled them through this last quarter of the season and gotten them into the playoffs. It felt like a game that you didn't want either team to lose because that's that was the epitome of leaving it all out on the field. You know, the back and forth between both teams was just an exciting and exhilarating experience as a fan, and I just loved that matchup. Now, moving on, the Jaguars were the next matchup. It was a 40 to 14 victory for the Ravens. Uh, I titled it as a taking care of business game. You know, Big Cat Country, the SB Nation website that covers the Jags, uh, published their post game article before halftime in that matchup. They were they were done and fed up with it, and uh, and I don't even know if they even watched the rest of it. I know I did because uh, 
I wanted to watch if uh, Yannick Ngakwe would get his full-blown revenge game, and he did. He was my notable player of that matchup and my only really true takeaway from that game from my perspective, just because, uh, you know, he, he started to heat up a little bit, and that's what you wanted to see from him uh, coming down the stretch. Yeah, Ravens started extremely fast in this game. Uh, then the, you know, defense had a little sack party, and they just mauled Jacksonville as expected. Don't have too much more to add. Jacksonville was hoping to get the the uh, Trevor Lawrence at that point, and the Ravens took care of business. Yep. Moving on to the uh, second final game was the New York football Giants matchup. Ravens, once again, defeated their foe 27-13. to Daniel Jones was sacked six times. The Ravens, you know, further revved up the rushing attack. Uh, the trio of Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards rushed for more than 240 yards on the ground. Uh, this was a, another game that, like, it appears the scoreline's close because the Ravens didn't bury another 40-burger after they did in back-to-back games. But it was a two-touchdown difference, essentially. And, uh, you know, this was a layup of a match, it felt like. It, it didn't feel competitive to me. What about you, boss? No, it wasn't overly competitive, again, because the Ravens started fast. I think that's the common thread of the last three, four games. Um, and, and that's going to be really important moving forward. We'll get on to that later. But the Giants are just outmatched. Um, the Ravens, again, racked up quite a sack total. And um, they also had some good passing success early in this game. And Giants were just kind of one of those mediocre middling teams, and the Ravens dominated them as they should. And the final matchup heading into week 17, the Ravens had a win and in situation and win. They did. The Bengals were trounced 38 to three victory for the Ravens. Voss, what did you have on this game? Uh, just dominant both sides of the ball, really. Obviously the, the historic rushing offense, but the defense, I don't believe allowed a first down until very late in the first half. And then they kicked that field goal. Uh, I guess they wanted to not be shut out. <clears throat> Again, the Ravens, uh, they're just a better team than this competition. And they and they did what they needed to do. Just overall, before we move on to the next segment, this is probably wasn't the regular season that most of us expected, many of us expected. There were some bad injuries. Obviously, the coronavirus outbreak. There was a midseason offensive slump. The defense blew some leads. It was up and down. The Kansas City game was a tremendous letdown early on. Again, though, it's a new season. Playoffs are here. Who knows? Maybe this 2020 teams will do what the 2019 couldn't do. Um, they have a fighting chance, that's for sure. Yep, completely agree with that. This has been quite a peculiar season with, as you mentioned, the injuries, with a pandemic uh, with everything that's gone on, um, you know, the Ravens internal outbreak itself being such a, a notable uh, mark in this season. Um, but to come finish covering the game, uh, I wrote this down. I'm happy that you mentioned the field goal and it's not just me that's uh, pointing this out because I thought this was cowardly. I thought Zach Taylor was cowardly to take yet another field goal to avoid his second straight <laughs> shutout against the Baltimore Ravens. He did so in the first game, and he was cheering about it on the sidelines and fist pumped that he didn't get blown out. And then they did it again, you know? And I thought that, you know, I wrote this in my my winners, losers, MVP article that 
Zach Taylor was, you know, excuse me, that Don Martindale, if this is his last game for the Ravens as defensive coordinator, if he finds a job elsewhere, he was two field goals away from back-to-back shutouts on Zach Taylor. And that's the way that you love to go out on your final season against, you know, a divisional opponent and, uh, and winning that. I also wanted to take note that the Bengals defense celebrated an early interception did the side, you know, the end zone cam, you know, posing like every team tends to do when they are, uh, you know, they get the takeaway. That's big. You know, it's a big deal. But they did this and then proceeded to allow the fourth most rushing yards in an NFL game ever. If, Not uh, just a bad game, a horribly defensed game that allowed the fourth most rushing yards. And also Jermaine Pratt who talked smack on Twitter saying that they were going to shut down the Ravens uh, was the dude that got stiff armed by JK Dobbins before he took it 72 yards to the house. The <laughs> Bengals, at least for now with no Joe Burrow, with no really big uh, notable players, you know, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but they to me are the new AFC North basement dwellers. The Browns are in the playoffs. The the Ravens have, you know, all of this exciting young talent. The Steelers are still in it, even with, uh, you know, Ben and his arm, or the lack thereof, and that team. Like, the Bengals are pitiful in some regards, and I thought this game really encapsulated how I'm not a fan of them. <laughs> if, uh, if your name is Zach with just a C, and you look like that, then you're kicking field goals to avoid... <laughs> the uh, shot out and your your team is playing like that like that's just I don't make the rules and like in all seriousness like he that hire him that was like the peak of the next Sean McVay like he was the absolute dregs of that whole situation like mm-hmm. let's just go get the young 30 year old white guy and like with the, the the offensive thing or whatever and like try to figure it out and like it's to this point like kind of hasn't worked out and weirdly Joe Burrow's injury might have saved his job there and we might have to deal with that again in some capacity but it does hopefully feel like the NFL is swinging back around where, uh, you know, some more people more deserving of opportunities like that are going to get them, maybe like Wink Martindale. We'll see. Yep, that's a great point. I I hated it. Voss, am I am I overreacting here? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think you're overreacting to the field goal because that ticked me off too. I agree with you there. Uh, but then again, I don't want to come off like Joe Judge – you know, if you want to stop him from getting a field goal, then keep him on the other side of, of the three of the yeah, three people I, I in, on this podcast. You're the most like Joe Judge of that. Thing, so. <laughs> you're a big integrity of the game guy. You're always telling us offline how much you love the shield and everything like that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Since he's I, I think you would say the job is they won two games, two back to back games before this game. And they were playing a little bit better. They're OK. You know, Cincinnati has good players. They just they just don't, I guess, have the organizational support. I think, yeah. really, if you match them up man for man, maybe not this year, but last couple of years. Anyway, let's not spend too much time on the Bengals. I think we should transition into our coaching analysis and just to right. pick up on the thread that both of you guys kind of left there as far as Wink Martindale potentially leaving for a head coaching job. Um, I would hate to see him go. I really would. I'm not necessarily sure that that's going to happen because as much as maybe uh, – offensive coordinators or offensive quarterbacks coaches aren't getting jobs because they, they know Sean McVay. It is still an offensive lead. There's a lot of hot offensive coordinator names out there. 
And in some regard, in some way, it doesn't make sense to hire a DC to become your head coach and then have to cycle through offensive coordinators year after year. Um, but as far as the job Wink's done this year, I could not be more pleased. He has dealt with uh, crippling injuries at various points in the defensive backfield, basically has not been able to play his his favorite formation from last year, Dine, the entire year because they didn't have a third safety. He's had times where they had two and three st- or two starting cornerbacks out, and week after week he just performs great. He is flexible. He's adaptable while always still staying true and always coming back to the aggressiveness at the end. I have great confidence in him. Defense can only do so much in this day and age of football, but I think he's definitely earned the right to say he's one of the top defense coordinators in the league. Absolutely agree with that analysis. Um, he has coached this team that has had a lot of talent, but he's kept them above uh, expectations. And, and expectations are what you come in with with any job and uh, – and he's performed exactly what you what was required of him, what was asked of him through the shifting. Like you mentioned, that's a great point that I hadn't considered that they didn't get to play much dime, if at all, because of the absence of uh, of some players and injuries and uh, an interesting cut at the beginning of the year. Uh, overall, you know, Wink's been spectacular and deserves to be uh, a head coach if he wants to go pursue that. Haven't seen too much talk about that so far. Um, yes, he's been a candidate. You know, he's been mentioned in names, but I haven't seen any formal requests for him so much as I've seen formal requests for a different Raven. Uh, Scott, I believe Hanson was his name. I might be completely off base, um, but I wrote a piece on that, that he was been the uh, Scott Cohen. Scott Cohen, yeah. Me. The uh, Scott, Scott, Cohen. Scott Hanson is the uh, NFL red zone guy who never that, yes, urinates, so... <laughs> I mean, he could be great. That dude can cast eight games at the same time. You know, that, that guy, that guy also, structure. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard him do like interviews, but he goes on like pods and stuff. Occasionally he is just raring to like let his own personality and stories out. Whenever he like does an interview, he like, he just goes on tangents. It's great. He's a guy that you just turn the camera on and he goes for it. That's awesome. You know, some people you got to pry, but that's, that's, that's good to hear. He's just a guy that'll just spew for three hours. And you're like, I think we got it two hours ago. <laughs> That's awesome. So my notes that I wanted to take away, though, for uh, Coach Martindale was, you know, they allowed only 18 points per game over the last four matchups. And that's, you know, quite a positive. Uh, one of those games was a 42 point game that the the Browns scored on this defense. And I don't want to exclude that data point uh, because I think that's so stupid. If you exclude the biggest you know, point total, it's even less. That doesn't make sense. This, this needs to be a part of the data. But I do want to give it a little bit of context. You know, it was a divisional game. Uh, the Browns offense was peaking at that time. The whole team was, it felt like, at that time, especially the offense, though. And uh, it was just, we all knew that going was going to be climactic, you know. But I didn't think it, you know, I don't think anybody truly called it to that degree. You know, Jake even said, you know, when he was watching it, and he mentioned it on the pod back then, like, he just had a, he had a feeling. He was like a, a truffle pig sniffing out that game. He knew that the offense was going to be, uh, you know, it was just going to be a barn burner. He knew it. Uh, but that game kind of, uh, you know, set, a, a, you know, a realization like, hey, we really got to be on our shit these last few weeks. You know, even though that we're playing uh, weaker opponents, like this is the time to really get in the groove of things and, and get the get the machine firing on all cylinders. Um it, the last three games, though, you know, against lesser opponents, like I mentioned, they allowed only 10 points per game. And that's there's no true, you know, obviously uh, 
statistically, there is better ways of, of entering the postseason. But like, that's where you want your team to be. You know, you want to be allowing few points. You want to be, you know, ready. And especially against uh, the opponent that they have coming up, which we'll which we'll uh, go a little bit more into later. So Martindale's been excellent. The coaching's been great, and uh, the defense has looked solid all throughout the season. Yeah, no doubt. And he's just I think if the time comes where he needs to make adjustments in this game coming up, and it's going to be a tough game because uh, Arthur Smith, one of the best offensive minds out there, but I have a lot of faith in Wink and uh, and Greg Roman. I think he's done very well the last quarter of the season as well. I think you got to tip your cap to him. You really do. They were slumping in the midseason. There's no question about it. He has the offense humming again. They're back setting up, setting rushing records or near rushing records. His first quarter play calling has been very good, which has helped the Ravens establish early leads, which we all know is so huge for this team. I think he's done a better job with the route combinations, the touchdown to Boykin, in the Cincinnati game is a good example of that, where he had uh, Andrews. They kind of ran parallel so that the defense was drawn to Andrews and left Boykin open. Um, and overall, I think he's uh, he's regained my confidence. I wasn't quite sure what to do or what to think of Roman in the midseason. I do reserve the right to change that opinion, depending on what happens against Tennessee <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> but, uh, but right now his arrow is pointing up, so we have to give him credit for that. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Um, I titled this part when I was doing my script as has Greg Roman figured it out again? Because, uh, you know, 2019 was absolutely dominant. And then they tried to turn, you know, they wanted to develop Lamar more as a passer. And that all makes sense. You know, you want your quarterback to be able to be a premier passer in the passing league that is the NFL. Uh, but I think that they were pushing it a little bit too hard. And also, um, just the offense just felt like it was in a slump the entire time, and, and players didn't develop as much as they could have. But, you know, since our last episode, uh, the offense has has changed drastically. They rushed for 1,043 yards in four games. They were averaging 260 rushing yards per game. Uh, they no longer were running Mark Ingram out there on first downs for a gain of one to two. Uh, they had J.K. Dobbins become the lead back in unison with uh, Gus Edwards, you know, as the dual pair. Um, and that just showed to me that they're they're ready to get back into what found them such great success. And uh, I also wrote in here that, you know, Jackson became, uh, you know, he's reverting back to 2019. And you think of the term as reverting as a negative because it's, it's going back a step, but when going back a step turns you into the unanimously voted MVP of 2019, it shouldn't sound like a negative and it, and it isn't a negative, you know, Jackson's back to running the ball when he feels it's necessary. You know, he's the best athlete on the field when he's out there and he needs to, he needs to utilize all of the talents that he has. Um, he's throwing a, you know, and the, you know, maybe it's because the passing concepts have been simplified or maybe they're finding things that uh, are more successful tendencies, but he's thrown nine touchdown passes over those last four games, only two interceptions, you know, and one of them was an awkward tipped ball. So, you know, this feels like a great offense and whether it's just Jackson or not, which I don't believe it is, I think Roman has got back into this and he's, you know, really trying to scheme up things that'll make this offense more successful. Um, I think this is, uh, you know, 
largely Roman's doing by utilizing the strengths of Jackson more. Lamar's definitely been running more down the stretch here. I don't know if that's a product of Roman or Lamar or his health or what it is, but Roman also has, he's found that counterpunch, right? So Lamar's when he first took over, they were running all over everybody. Um, and then the Chargers put more defensive backs on the field in the playoffs. So then last year they went to a lot of heavy personnel uh, with two tight ends on the field. And then this this season, uh, defense coordinators adjusted to that. So now he's running a lot out of spread formations. Um, so he is adjusting. Uh, I hope he can adjust maybe fast enough. If there's something thrown at him in the first half of a game where he's ready to go in the second half, it doesn't take him two weeks to figure it out because they don't have that kind of time anymore. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um, any other notes, Jake? Do you have anything to add about either coach or both? Uh, no, I think you guys have covered it pretty well. It's just, uh, I think as much as this game is a, a fairly big sort of test for Roman, I think kind of getting to that stage where the question has always been playoffs, 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 or it was, you know, well, he X can't do it. Lamar can't do it. Roman isn't good. And then it's moved to the playoffs. It's big for a lot of respects. So I am looking forward to a big performance from Greg Roman this weekend, win or lose. I think it's going to, uh, you know, unfortunately, maybe uh, dictate the narrative, uh, so to speak, of the offseason. So. Yeah, and also uh, we'll have to see the context. Maybe fortunately. Maybe fortunately you know? Yeah, no, yeah. I, either way. You know? <laughs> Hopefully fortunately. You know, let's be optimistic. I'm um, just like, I'm just a guy who I try to avoid being reactionary and basing everything on one thing. So like, even if it is like a positive, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe let's not get too, you know, Oh, head over heels here with this. Let's try to just, you know, keep it between the mustard and the mayo. That's what I like. You're a stabilizing force around here, Jake. That, that's what you are. That's, yeah, that's many people have said that about me. That is a line for the ages. Keep it between the mustard and the mayo. <laughs> just keep, you know. Oh, I like it. I like it. Keep it between the lines, right, boss, uh, Time to move on to our favorite segment, maybe. Winners and losers. Which would you like to start with? Uh, let's go with winners, and let's go with the man who has regained his MVP form. I don't think there's any question about it. Lamar Jackson in the last four games is playing just every bit as well, as great, as exceptional and dynamic as he did throughout the 2019 season. Uh, in the last four, he has two games with three passing touchdowns. He has three games with 80 or more rushing yards. He's seeing the field very well. He has great touch on the majority of his passes downfield. He just seems unstoppable right now. It just it seems no matter the down or the distance, third and nine, four runners in the backfield, no problem. I'm going to evade all three of them and toss a dime to Andrews or Hollywood or make six guys miss in the open field and pick up the first <laughs> down. Uh, he's just on another level right now. He's Superman right now. And I'm so excited to see him back in that form. And I really hope he continues it the next uh, next month all the way through. Yeah, of course, I have him in my winner's column as well near the top. Uh, 700 passing yards over the last four games. And he tacked on another 336 rushing yards. You know, uh, he has an overall, overall, he scored 12 touchdowns. Uh, he only had three turnovers is what I've seen. Um, and like you said, it felt like he could do – no wrong. 
especially in that Browns game, you know, when uh, he showed back up on the field, throws an instantaneous touchdown to Marquise Brown, then gets the ball back when the Ravens have to take it again. And he, you know, marches down the field once again and gets uh, Lamar Jackson into field goal position. He was every bit of what was necessary this uh, these last four games. And, and like you said, he looked MVP once again. For sure. You want to go next? Yes. I have maybe a little controversial here. Miles Boykin as my winner here. Over the last four weeks, he's scored, uh, he scored two touchdowns. Um, it, it, he's just getting like one pass play per game. You know, he's only getting two. He's averaging just over a target per game. You know, he's catching every other catches for a touchdown at this point. And, you know, maybe that's all that was needed for uh, him to get involved with this and uh, make some more plays. Um, you know, maybe the Des Bryant signing is what sparked this. Maybe it's just the offense being more rushing aligned, which opens up him more in the receiving game. Either way, he's done an excellent job of getting open and uh, creating separation and making the catches when he's called upon. Uh, yes, Boykin's playing better for sure. Um, this time, five, six, seven weeks ago, he looked like he was going to be fighting for for a roster spot come, uh, come next training camp. I'm not ready to say I'm happy with him as a uh, – a number three receiver necessarily next season, maybe even not a number four, but but he is contributing. So happy to see that. I'm going to go with my next winner, Ben Powers. He became the full-time starter at uh, right guard in week 11, and he just hasn't looked back. There's been a steady rotation at right tackle on his right side between uh, Fluker and Phillips. There's been a rotation due to injury and ineffectiveness at center on his left side uh, between McCarty and I, I think Skura was benched before then, but uh, TCC. And, and Powers is just in there, you know, throwing people around and, and it's displaying physicality. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the rushing offense took off once he was inserted. And, uh, and a lot of people thought he should have been the starter earlier in the season, um, much like Orlando Brown in 2018, but better late than never. I like the Ben Powers pick. I went with the guard as well, but I picked the left guard, Bradley Bozeman. He has, you know, he's been continuing the success that he's already had. uh, And I believe he's been on our winner's list uh, probably multiple times at this point. But, you know, for him to still make the plays that he's doing to, you know, pull around, seal off edges, uh, you know, just the offensive line as a whole has to be at least of, of, of a decent caliber. If the offense is averaging 260 rushing yards in, you know, over the last four games, um, I think Bozeman's done great. He's also in line to uh, maybe win the Walter Payton man of the year award, which I don't think can be understated. You know, uh, it's not a play making uh award solely it's about doing off the field stuff and uh and i think i want to take you know some time to appreciate what he's done you know he's uh he's been uh great off the field you know he joined us for a podcast on uh, the baltimore beatdown podcast was super fun there um and overall just on and off the field has been a great person with great work ethic and uh i'm excited for him to stick around with the ravens for a long time hopefully you know, I'm I'm a big Bozeman fan at this point. Good choice. He's been on my list 
I believe twice already. Definitely a season-long winner. My next winner is your boy, Kyle, Anthony Averett. He was really picked on um, in the Dallas game. Mm-hmm. And that came right before, I believe, or two games before this final quarter of the season. Um, since then, he has really, really found his form as a cover corner. And he's had a heavy workload with Peters and Jimmy um, Hurt and even Tremont Williams and some of the other journeymen they picked up. Pretty much almost everybody's been hurt. Um, five p- pass breakups in the last three games. That's uh, that's Chris McAllister kind of stuff right there. Yes, sir. He's, uh, he's even uh, shown some, some better ability than I thought in run support. Made a nice uh, tripped up uh, the back. I think it was uh, uh, on the edge. It was a P Ryan who uh, last week. Um, I was talking to our our, our old friend Yitzi uh, maybe three weeks ago, and he was saying nice. we'll pick a corner. I talked to him a lot. We're, we still we still keep in touch. But regardless, uh, he was saying well, we're going to have to pick a corner, um, probably round four. You know, uh, looking at it, and after everybody was going down. Now you look at it, they, they locked up Jimmy for another year, which is an A-plus move. Everybody knows how much I love Jimmy. Yeah, We love Jimmy. We yeah. love we, Jimmy. We, we, we. <laughs> you have Peters, you have Humphrey. I think it, I think uh, Tavon restructured, if I remember. And now you have double-A. That's a really good cornerback, Quartet or, or Kintet, uh, for next year. So Averitt's really stepped up, very encouraging. Finally put it together. Everett was also on my list. Um, as everybody knows, I've been a big supporter of uh, Double A since he was drafted. You know, that was the guy that I, dra- I interviewed my first day of training camp, uh, his rookie year. I got him the second year, and I've been trying to interview him, uh, you know, every single year because, uh, you know, he was he was looked at as one of the top corner prospects from Bama, and I think at one point was rated higher than Marlon Humphrey was. And to have both of them on the same team and to have Marlon become what he has he's become, which is incredible. Um, to see Averett, you know, not uh, overtake Humphrey, but still be great over these last four, uh, you know, weeks or so has been really exciting. Um, I, you know, when Jimmy Smith, you know, came out, you know, was drafted by the Ravens, it took him a long time to uh, to really become what he what he is and what he was at the time. Cornerback development is incredibly difficult, and I've talked about this a lot. Um, and Averett, maybe he just needed a lot more time. You know, some players are pro ready. They're in and they, and they can show up and show out from day one. They can pop off, you know, from day one. Other guys take some time, you know, they got to, uh, they got to sit in the cask a little longer, you know, maybe that's what it is. And, you know, gotta, you know, get some refinement in there, but Averett's, uh, you know, the time was ticking on him a bit, but he's really stepped up and, uh, I'm thrilled that, Averitt's perform well. Um, you know, he's got a 62 overall grade from PFF. I think that's pretty good, all things considered, you know, for the few amount of snaps that he's been in. Uh, he's taken 100% of snaps, uh, you know, in week, uh, I believe, 14 and 15, or 15 and 16. 15 and and 16. then, yep, and then week 17 took 93% of them. You know, that's a, he's over 150 snaps over those last uh, three games. And, uh, you know, hopefully – you know, everybody comes back and is healthy and he only has to be a CB4. But if he's called upon like he has been, you know, starting opposite of Marlon Humphrey, it's pretty exciting to watch, you know, those two Bama corners just doing it at the pro level with uh, on, on the Raven squad. And not even, uh, I mean, long term is great. Next year is great. But if the Ravens are fortunate enough to advance uh, 
and and maybe match up against the Buffalo or a Kansas City down the road, mm-hmm. you're gonna need other corners you could get. And maybe you use Jimmy uh, in a little bit different role. And it's really great to have a guy with the natural ability, and now he's found the consistency and the feel for the position. Yep, I uh, I'd agree with that for sure. Um, uh, my winner, uh, I also had Justin Tucker because I wanted to make mention of that kick against the Cleveland Browns yet again. Um, you know, the the team said, I believe it was Harbaugh said, like, there's one guy you believe in that you know that kick's going in on, um, you know, a 55-yarder um, in the in the difficult stadium and, that it is. Uh, and he just goes out there like, like it's no biggie and smashes home that kick. Um, I don't have all of his stats pulled up in front of me right now, uh, but I just, you know, Tucker's been – you know, a huge part of this team's success. And if they lose that game, you know, this is likely uh, the end of the season right here. Um, you know, I don't think they could have taken that loss. Uh, and uh, they needed that win. They got it. And Tucker was a huge part of that uh, solution. Yeah, you just expect at this point. You know, mm-hmm. you, know, you see, you recognize greatness when you see it. I have two... Honorable mentions, I'll call them. Not quite okay. full-blown blunders, but uh, worth mentioning. First one, Mark Andrews. His TD production has slowed down a little bit. The yards are still there. He's really had, last few games at least, a Pro Bowl caliber season on par with what he did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't quite as great in the middle of the year. Um, he just also made several special catches as mulsing the defensive back. So I thought he deserved the mention. The other one is Chuck Clark. He's always been that cerebral Iron Man, uh, try hard kind of guy. And it's great. And it's appreciated and the communicator on the back end. Uh, but I do think his coverage has been noticeably better the last two, three games. He's been more physical. He had a pick. Um, so I think he deserved mention. Yeah, I like both of those. I think those are fair. Um, I didn't do any honorable mentions, uh, this time around, I probably should have focused on that a little bit more. But uh, moving on to the losers, do you want to round this up first? Uh, sure. The obvious guy is Mark Ingram. We were He was our number one unanimous loser last show. And mm-hmm. since then, he has had nine total touches in four games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been inactive. Um, and I think he's probably going to be inactive in the playoffs, at least if I was setting – the depth chart, I would leave him off because I don't think he brings very much to the table. It's just remarkable how fast he fell off from one season to the next. Yeah, I think that's completely fair to say. Um, we, you know, we expected the 30-year wall to hit. I don't think we expected it this badly. You know, we we thought I thought he'd come in, have a, you know, a productive season, maybe 600 to 800 yards, five, six touchdowns. Um, you know, a reasonable stat line because he was such a figurehead in the 2019 offense. But, you know, they drafted J.K. Dobbins, and so you thought the production would go down for that reason. But that wasn't the reason his production went down. You know, it wasn't because they were trying to give uh, Dobbins a, a huge share, at least early in the season when they were utilizing Ingram. And uh, we saw it We saw it then that he just doesn't have it anymore, um, at least uh, to the degree that I know he would want to be performing at. Um, I wouldn't have him on the uh, on the depth chart either going into this game against Tennessee. 
Uh, the Ravens have been effective running the ball without him. They've been effective passing the ball out of the backfield without him. You know, J.K. Dobbins has looked good, and they could probably incorporate him more there. Uh, same thing with Gus Edwards. They could uh, incorporate him out of the backfield. We saw his spectacular catch a couple weeks back and uh, his catch and run. So this is, uh, I think, this, you know, when uh, when it's all, I think he's probably played his last snaps as a, as a Raven, barring something, you know, um, further down in the postseason, hopefully. Yeah, in a different offense, maybe he could be more effective as a pass blocker, but he's just not bringing much to the table. You want to go next, Kyle? I don't want to steal steal all your thunder. Yeah, you're good, man. You're good. Um, I had uh, Malik Harrison as uh, one of my losers. Um, he has not been on the field much, if at all. You know, I was trying to – I was searching through this I was like, man, I'm not finding a whole lot of losers, you know, when the team is is crushing it like they are, you know, four or five straight wins. They've looked good. Offense is humming. I was like, you know, the defense has done really well, like we were saying with the points. And I was like, man, what's – like, who am I missing or who am I forgetting, you know? And I was like, well, is Patrick Queen not doing too great? You know, where's his stat line? Where has he been performing lately? Because uh, uh, we've talked a lot about him and his splash plays and whether that's valuable enough or not to be uh, a winner or a loser. But then I was like, um, you know, Chris Board's got a lot of run. I bet he's, um, you know, been taking the snaps from uh, from uh, Queen. And then I looked at it, and Queen's been playing in most snaps. You know, he's been on the field. He's, you know, I believe he racked over 100 tackles. Malik Harrison has been only on the field for, you know, for uh, the last three weeks, fewer than 10 snaps. He hasn't hit double-digit snaps on defense in, uh, in, in three straight weeks now. And Chris Board, meanwhile, has been on the field for double-digit sacks all those times. So, I got to have Malik Harrison on there. I expected more from him. Um, some people had him higher on the um, expectations list than Patrick Queen, even though Queen was drafted first. You know, we thought, you know, Malik Harrison looked great, especially the value at his, you know, his round level. And he's a pretty good linebacker. He looked pretty good early. But overall, I just didn't see much uh, of him on the field. And I don't remember anything too notable um, that I can't, uh, I can't put my finger on. You know, uh, what did you think? I think that's fair, Kyle. I definitely expected more out of Harrison this season. That's probably my worst take that I've had this year, I have to say. I expected a lot more out of him. Um, and we probably should have put Chris Board on the winner's list, now that you say yeah. that. He's, ta- he's taking snaps from Fort. He's taking snaps from Harrison. He's taking mm-hmm. snaps from Queen. He's, in a way, probably taking snaps from Levine, keeping him off yep. the field as a as a pseudo-dime. Um so I think that's a fair one. And I also had to think outside the box because there's not a whole lot of winners when yeah. they win four. But I think I have two that are probably accurate. Um, Jalen Ferguson, he's been a healthy scratch in two of the last four. Yep. Very little impact. Just a couple tackles and one pass deflection. When you think about it, Judon's making plays, McPhee's making plays, Ngakwe's making plays, Bowser's making plays, and Ward is making plays. And Ferguson's not really doing too much. He's still young. There's there's time, but this is definitely not the breakout year that some expected in year two. Yeah, um, I actually have uh, Bowser. Um, I, I I think just a, a dishonorable mention. Um, you know, these last four weeks, I was really excited about him. I thought he'd close out the season really well, um, but I didn't I didn't see it from him. Um, he didn't have a sack in the last four games. He had only two quarterback hits. He did have the interception against Cleveland, which was, was awesome, yeah. which was huge. And that's why I don't have him as a full loser uh, because I just I, he's being utilized in coverage so much that it's hard to track 
um, you know, where his impact is because those aren't stat sheet stuff. He's been a great coverage linebacker. I believe he might still be rated really high by PFF. Um, but I don't have, I, I just wanted to see more from him down the stretch. And it could be because Yannick Ngakwe's taken some snaps from him or Derek Wolf or just a combination of other players. And uh, overall, I just, I just wanted to see more, you know, Tyus Bowser is always this exciting player. You know, he's, he's an athletic freak and, you know, he's made some plays all throughout the season. I just wanted to see some more from him down in the last four games, especially with uh, the context of, um, you know, these were lesser opponents and uh, you know, this is where you can really show out stuff, the stat, you know, the sack totals, maybe the QB hits totals or, um, you know, some tackles for loss and, uh, and really maximize his, you know, the cliche linebacker on the Ravens and a contract year numbers. I'm not sure I agree with that one, but okay. you make fair points. Um, just a log jam at outside linebacker, yep. just like the running backs, a log jam there too. Kind of a little bit interesting the way the class built this roster. Uh, out of curiosity, before I give you my last quote unquote loser, mm-hmm. Bowser, Judon, and Gakwe are all unrestricted. Mm-hmm. Let's pretend that. They're all going to get a one-year, $10 million contract. Obviously, they're going to be different than that. But let's say everything being equal, who prior ranked the three in order of, of how how much you'd like to see them return? Oh, man. Um, so I'm going to start with Bowser. I'm not going to put him higher or lower than anybody. I just want to – like he's always felt like this enamoring potential player. I think his entire Ravens career and NFL career has been this enamorable player that you want to see break out, you want to see pop off. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where I haven't seen it. Um, one mil, one year, 10 million. Um, I'm not too thrilled with that, especially considering you could, if you know, under these circumstances, you can take Judon or Yannick Ngakwe um, for the same price tag. I think I would rank it... Um, <laughs> I think you go in Gakwe one, Judon two, and it's close there. And then I think you take a, a step down with Bowser at three. I think that's the the way you got to go. I'm, I like the, the coverage ability of Bowser, but you know, the, the track record for the other two players is something you can't, uh, exclude here. Interesting. What what are your rankings on it? Um, I probably probably tilted the question by saying one year deal. Mm-hmm. So let me say it this way: if it was a three year deal, okay. I go Bowser one, Judon two, and Gakoy three. Really? If, if it's a one year deal, I go Judon one, Bowser two, and Gakoy three. Are and the not- rash- the rationale is that the other two guys can do so much more than Ngakwe. And it's great that he gets pressure and he gets more pressure than both of them. But if you have outside linebackers that can drop into coverage or in, and, and obviously Bowser is better than Judon, but Judon's a very good run defender too. Mm-hmm. Um, it allows you to get pressure from different angles. If Ngakwe was getting home on all these sacks, that'd be one story. He's getting a ton of pressure. I think he has three sacks with the Ravens through seven games. Um, so that at least that's personally how. But let's see what happens. Anybody uh, on Sunday, because if you have Bowser that drops into coverage, then you can send somebody else Queen up the A gap, mm-hmm. and then Queen gets the pressure. 
You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah. does it, it does it matter that you're getting it? I'd rather have pressure on the interior than the uh, than off the edge. To be to be honest. Well, of course you want pressure in the interior over that, but are you meaning interior pressure through your defensive lineman, or are you meaning it through blitzing of a of a linebacker, or switching the the pressure being sent from the edge to the interior by sending the a gap blitz by by your middle or weak side linebackers? You know, uh, I think that's I think that's a different take there. I think interior pressure to me, when I think of it, is going to be can Campbell, Wolf, or, sure. or Williams go there? You know, of course I would like to get interior pressure more than edge re- pressure, but like. Um, another point you said is like Judon is a better run defender. Everybody can be good at run defense and uh, or should be adequate in it. You know, maybe Ngakwe isn't to the level that Judon is, but I want the consistent edge pressure. I think that's something that needs to be uh, more prevalent in this Ravens defense. Um, you know, and if you don't get Wink Martindale back next year, and you got to stick with one of these guys. Who's been the most consistent at creating pressure? I think Ngakwe is that guy. And for that reason, I think I value him above it uh, over over Judon and, um, you know, uh, Bowser. All right. Well, I, I think uh, I'll agree to disagree. And I think we have a great topic for our first offseason uh, show to, yes. uh, to do a little debating because I have a little bit more ammunition I'll, I'll unveil then. Oh, but, great. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my third loser is going to be Nick Boyle. Uh, you hate to Wally Pip the guy in a way. Mm. He's a terrific blocker. Um, however, the run game has been thriving, absolutely thriving, with career-long practice squatter Eric Tomlinson serving as that blocking tight end. Mm-hmm. And I think it raises a legitimate question. Do you really want to pay Boyle a $7.8 million cap hit next year to be a blocking tight end if you can 80-20 him or 85 him, you know, whatever the whatever Tomlinson or another one of these blockers that you can find on a practice squad is, right. um, for what it's worth, you can save the Ravens can save five and a half million against the cap in his base salary if they do release Boyle. So I think it's uh hasn't been a great uh for his long-term uh value at least. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't, I didn't consider him on this. Um, I, I tried to shy away from injuries or else I would have maybe even put, um, uh, Tavon Young on there, uh, just because of the, the thriving of, uh, of the cornerback depth being shown here. And, but that makes a lot of sense that, yeah, you got to consider whether or not paying Boyle that much money is, is necessary when, you know, I've mentioned it so many times during the pod. Averaging 260 rushing yards without Boyle and without Stanley is pretty huge, um, and that's uh, something to take note of. Lamar, Lamar does it all. Yep, he has, you know the angles that like I think you've mentioned it so many times too uh, when we talk and, and discuss this stuff is uh, you know he just changes the angles so much that nobody else can replicate it. We saw it when RG3 goes into the game; he can't he can't do anything near that, and the angles change from from wide to the outside to they can attack him in the backfield. I assume Huntley was the same way and McSorley was the same way. They just can't get to him the same um, with that. Um, I thought I had one more on here. Where did it go? I thought I had one more. Not seeing. Did I delete it? Don't seem to have it. Do you have any <laughs> others? Whoops. No, not really. Not really. Jake, you want to? you have anything to add here? Uh, yeah, I did have one winner. My one okay. winner is uh, 
dads. What do dads like? They like the smell of nice, fresh, cut grass in the sun. They like a nice light beer, you know? Maybe have a couple of those. They like to take a nap after having a couple of those. Maybe a little TV on in the background as they get ready for their uh, their game to come on. But when their game comes on, what do they like? They like to yell at the TV, namely about the cover two defense. On the offensive side of the ball, they like to yell at the TV about establishing the run. <laughs> Dads are the winner here over this past month because the Ravens have established the run in the ways that they had not done since probably 2019. I mean, we talked about the opening of the season trying to turn Lamar into this passing quarterback. I think he had a uh, probably as much to do with that as the coaching staff did. I think he wants to be, you know, this kind of drop back pocket passer, and I think he can be uh, on his best day. But I think, uh, you know, we found the happy medium here where he can do that, but he can also be this dynamic scrambling threat that we all know that he is. When he does that, he unlocks this offense and its potential to do what it needs to do, which is establish the run. And we have seen them establish the run over this last month, and particularly it came to a head on this past Sunday in a way that we have not seen them do it in a very long time. So Dad's is my winner. <laughs> I really thought this was going further. Uh, than where you you took it nicely done. <laughs> where where do you think I, I was? I must be an outlier because I have two children. Yeah, I was gonna I, say you're. I, I you're to establish the past. You're the one. You're the one exception. You're the new millennial dad. It's like, oh, you gotta establish the past here, Roman. What are you doing, man? Go go look in the queue right now. The headline for Ravens news tomorrow literally says establish the past. Okay. Does it really? I gotta <laughs> go to that right now. Oh, that's gonna be gold. <laughs> well, I had you as my last winner. I think last episode because uh, you, did. You, did. you were you were you were proven right on some of your uh, issues. That you had, but uh, I think Would we've had a look at that. We've had a little <laughs> bit of a we've had a little bit of a swing back to the medium. We're now a little bit more between the mustard and the mayo than you know than we were oh. before, and we're back where I like to be. So, I had a, I did find it. It was Justice Hill was my was my last loser. It, it's done. You know that's another running back that like he's just not going to operate successfully uh, at least here. You know he's done some good things on special teams. He's done some bad things on special teams. That, you know, the Ravens got three straight sacks, and then I believe he was the guy that ran straight into a punter that allowed a long touchdown drive uh, by the New York football giants. And he should be successful in this rushing offense, you know. If if Gus Edwards can do it, J.K. Dobbins can do it, you know, you'd think that somebody that has the multi-tool threat ability of – Justice Hill, you know, he's able to catch passes out of the backfield. And they're not utilizing that a whole lot in this offense, I get. But, like, even the rushing game, you know, you, you'd think that after, uh, you know, a couple years in this offense, he'd be able to, you know, he'd be more prevalent. But that hasn't been the case. It's just not getting touches. I think he'd be a great number three next year once they move on from Ingram. I don't think they need to find another – draft another running back early. I don't that. think so either. I certainly no, well, no uh, well, when Let's, they do, when they do, we're having you on this podcast. And I just want to – we're just going to set you up to, like, cry into the microphone for three hours. I'm going to be rioting on Russell Street. It's going to be incredible. I can't wait. I can't fucking it's, wait. I one angry Greek man sitting in front of the statue of Johnny Unitas <laughs> with a picket with a picket sign. I can't. He ran two for two for twenty one against Cincinnati. Ten and a half average. I think that's better than anybody's. I cannot wait. Ugh. All right, let's move on to this playoff game uh, because uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, not the matchup I was hoping for. 
It most certainly was not the matchup I was hoping for. Um, I certainly didn't want the Bills. The Bills are a machine right now, but the next machine would be Derrick Henry on terms of uh, people I didn't want to face or A.J. Brown. And unfortunately, both of those guys are on the Tennessee Titans. Ravens, Titans, revenge game, rematch, the rematch of the rematch. What, what uh, What are your first thoughts on this going in? Um, surface level thoughts. This is my. I think this is the second toughest matchup they could have found. I'm, I'm more. I think uh, the Ravens match up better with Buffalo than they do with Tennessee. Tennessee okay. has uh, just out physical, out toughed them the last two games in a row. You know, and I, uh, Jay, on the on the flagship, Jake and uh, and Spencer talk about dogs and dog ratio and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I'm a little concerned that Tennessee has more dogs, and you know, including uh, their coach and their whole field, their whole team. Yeah. They decided to dance on the logo. Um, yep. There is an intimidation factor in football. There really is, and the Ravens had that. And I grew up on that Billick football and Ray Lewis running out of the tunnel and you know pregame, you know, uh, lapping the entire field with the outside with the uh, linebackers like he's marking his territory. Um, and the Ravens have some tough guys, uh, but Tennessee does too. Yep. Um, my my biggest thought that I, I went into this with is this is what Eric DaCosta built this team for. He went out and, you know, got these, these trench work players. He drafted Broderick Washington, Justin Metabike. He drafted, you know, he, he signed Calais Campbell. He, he traded for Calais Campbell. He, he signed Derek Wolf. They have Brandon Williams there. They drafted two linebackers, Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. You wanted to stop Derrick Henry. You were scared of Derrick Henry. They, 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 you know, showed you up last year in the playoffs. This is what you built this team for. This is the time for you to show that your your genius or your mind and uh, you were, you thought all of it through and and we're probably going to play the Titans again. What do we do to stop them? This is what you spend all of the offseason for the draft this this year as a whole like grinding it out um this is why i am excited for this game is because this is what they put all of their chips on they didn't create a team to battle with the likes of kc and pittsburgh like we said you know they didn't draft a bunch of horses to run with the game they drafted a bunch of you know they signed and drafted and picked up a bunch of dogs to fight in the trenches and this is this is the fucking game to do it the way to neutralize Henry is the game script. It's not to, you know, spend a ton of money on run stuffers and draft picks. And Henry doesn't, he just doesn't worry me nearly as much as the game script does. The one question that's been hovering over this team ever since that Chargers playoff game two years ago, can the Ravens, when they're forced to pass, not when it's, a tight game, not when they're down a touchdown like they were to the to 49ers and, and um, you know, when they're down by two scores, when they're down by 14 or 17, if they get down there, but if they are, can they chase points? Can mm-hmm. Lamar and Roman and the receivers, can they chase points? That's what really scares me about this game because you don't know how it's going to start. The Ravens are – a evenly matched, if not better matched. Uh, but if they are, then put in that position 
Tennessee does have some guys. They have Bayard, their center or their safety, who can neutralize Andrews. Dory Jackson, he can run with Hollywood. They have Desmond King. They're the slot man they traded for. He can he can lock down Sneed. And then uh big uh Simmons on the interior can get off through that that unproven uh uh, offensive line, the centers, the guards, when they don't have the protection of the run game and the deception and the RPO and the read option, uh, that's what concerns me on, on that side of the ball. I think it's absolutely imperative, imperative for Greg Roman to devise. Maybe he can script out the first three drives, but if the Ravens score first, the first drive is the most important on offense, the most important drive of this entire game. No question about it. Do you think that is the first offensive drive for the Ravens specifically or just the first drive, whoever gets the ball first is more tone setting? I think it definitely has to be both. Sorry to jump in, but if you look at that Cleveland game, they drove right down and scored a touchdown, and it's like, oh, shit, like, here we go. Ravens drive right down and score a touchdown. So, and that's where I was kind of okay. stiffing it out, you know, a little shootout here. I don't know if this is going to turn into a shootout, even if that happens, but it does kind of feel like first drives are going to be setting the tone. Okay. I mean, the Ravens had an 11 point lead on Tennessee and they couldn't put them away. And then in overtime and that, but they can stop Henry early. They've proven that they did. They it. So not to like, and again, I, I hate to jump in on you guys here too no, much. But you're part of the show, man. Yeah. So Call we were, in. the water's warm. <laughs> so we were, we were talking about this the other night a little bit, and we're going to get into it in our preview as well. But like they stopped Henry for the most part of that game. It was just two long runs at the end. Like Deshaun Elliott was manhandling Henry in a way that I haven't seen no player do. They yeah, were up. They smacked him hard. Even yeah, go back yeah. to the playoff game last year, and they were stuffing Henry. Henry had like three yards per carry until they hit that play action bomb to Raymond, mm-hmm. and then and they essentially, and they could pound Henry. And, and they essentially, were stuffing him hard. yeah. And essentially, my overarching point is that it's great to do that, but eventually he's maybe going to get a few off. So what you can't afford to do is make stupid mistakes and shoot yourself in the foot. And that's obviously like. 1057 caller take right there but like I think it's true like you you just can't get in your own head and they did that in the game this year where they're up 10 points Lamar throws a deep interception all of a sudden it turns and that was the turning point of the game and that's what cost them so maybe you can afford to turn it over but like you can't be in a position where you're able to give the momentum back because as much as some people in you know well-informed circles like to argue that momentum doesn't exist or whatever intimidation like you mentioned Voss I think that does exist to an extent Momentum exists to an extent as well. If you've ever played sports, you know that. So, like, you, yeah. I just think that game flow is going to be a, a big part of this one. I, I don't know if I'm totally down on that as of right now, but I do think it's going to be an important important part of this game. I like those points. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, something that I really took note of when when looking up at Tennessee, you know, we always we notice a lot of the offense, and they have defensive playmakers like Boss mentioned, uh, Bayern, Adore Jackson, um, you know, Desmond King, uh, but their third down defense and also their pass rush. If you thought people were frustrated with the Ravens pass rush and the lack of total sacks by this franchise, uh, get a load of the Tennessee Titans sack total. I'm going to put the over at, uh, at 18. Do you think they're over or under on that? They're under. They're way under. 
<laughs> they are at 19. They're at 19, just barely. That's they're they're one of the first scenes. That's why I put it tough. I put it tough on there on purpose. I had to mess with you. I had to mess with you. I needed to get a win against you tonight. That's what was going on here. <laughs> I had to get you. So um, I was listening to a podcast uh, a little bit ago that said that like this is one of the first if first teams ever or one of the very few teams that have ever made the playoffs with a sack total by the team under 20. And this is something that I'm excited about going into the game because the Ravens offensive line has been stout these last few weeks. They've been run centric, which has minimized sacks, of course, and uh, allowed them to gain ground. But also when they are throwing the ball, Lamar's been incredible at avoiding pressure. And also the, you know, when, when the pressure has arrived, you know, and, uh, some of the sometimes they're allowing some big pressures. You know, Jackson's had to make some Houdini-like moves, vanishing from four from four impending uh, or imposing uh, defensive players. You know, uh, you know, closing the entire pocket, and he's gone, and he gains fifteen. Um, you know, and you know the Titans are going to come here with a strong game plan against them, but if they can't cause pressure on Jackson, nothing's going to come of it. You know, and and Jackson's been excellent on third down. And the the receivers are starting to get some get some separation. They're starting to get some better looks in and make better plays. But you know, Jackson, if he wants to be in the pocket and you're gonna let him be in the pocket, eventually they're gonna find something. You know, they have great coverage, the Titans do. I'm not arguing that. But I think you give Jackson enough time and enough space, and he's gonna figure a way to get a first down. I think the problem is the line of scrimmage. You have to win the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Um that, and that's really what cost them last last January. Yep. On the, and I really do think that the the main the the, the battle that's going to determine this game is Ravens offense against Titans defense. The other side of the ball, obviously AJ Brown's a monster. He's really the one that turned that game and over took it into overtime, just running over people. Saw some people say, just stick Humphrey on him, and Humphrey's great. I love Humphrey. I don't think Humphrey can handle him one on one all game long. I don't think so. He's just – he's huge. Uh, On the bright side, uh, their offensive tackles are not good. I do expect Ngakwe and Judon to really push some pressure on Tannehill if you can get Tannehill chasing a little bit. That's really the key. You got to – who's going to get who else chasing? Because if Tannehill's sitting back there and they're, you know, up – or they're, you know, neutral game script, Arthur Smith starts using those play actions, those bootlegs, start putting – Patrick Queen in conflict. I, I'm a little bit scared about how Queen's going to fare. Very and, scared about Queen. Uh, yep. This is this is not uh, a great matchup for him because they're really going to target him. I think he's kind of the, the weak link against a team like this. You see Tannehill every week just uh, taking those plays and, and those uh, and running the ball, you know, for trunk trunk plays, long touchdowns. A uh, couple couple interesting statistics I saw. From a PFF article that ranked every team in the playoffs as far as who's the most complete, mm-hmm. they said the Ravens are the twelfth most complete team out of the fourteen, which wow. uh, which isn't great, but I don't necessarily disagree because the Ravens are so kind of unbalanced in a way. Um, the Ravens' defense is ranked twenty-sixth in missed tackles and thirtieth in yards allowed after contact. Um, and then in offense, the receivers are ranked 28th in both drops and overall receiving grade. So what that tells me is 
it's you got to get the run game going early, get some points on the board, and things will fall into place. If not, it's going to be a really tight game. Defensive side yeah. of the ball, I think uh, you look at – you mentioned like the idea of interior pressure really mattering, and a lot of people are looking at that 2019 playoff game as a barometer for this game. And like I get it from an idealistic sort of meta perspective, but I think as far as like an actual on-the-field barometer, I think you have to look at the matchup from this year in 2020. And sure. you mentioned some of the issues on the field with the defense – in that game, no Brandon Williams, no Calais Campbell. And you talk about dogs. Calais Campbell is a dog with a capital D. Brandon Williams, he may be a house cat, but he's a pretty good player in the run game. So I think getting those two guys back is going to be very big, and that's probably going to help Patrick Queen a little bit. I am very worried about A.J. Brown, and I think you're going to be rolling coverages his way regardless of who is on him because that's a guy that could absolutely break this thing open. Yep. Uh, secondary is going to have to truly step up to face off against uh, this Titans wide receiver group. AJ Brown is a man. He is a, he's a, he's a real dude. He is that dude. And just like you said, Voss, putting Humphrey on him one-on-one is not, is not the answer. Um, Humphrey is a linebacker playing a uh, corner, but uh, AJ Brown is a running back playing wide receiver at times. The and defensive then, end playing wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, he's he's tough, dude. He's real deal, and that's why a lot of us loved him coming out of the draft. You know, he was maybe one of our, you know, some of our uh, our picks at that, at, you know, where, where they drafted uh, Marquise Brown. So that's uh, this, this is going to be a very exciting game. Is where I'm at with this. Is uh, you know, and. Uh, and I like the point that you made, Jake, that that was something I was thinking is that, you know, you get these guys back that you didn't have last time. Derek Wolf's entire job was like, you are the only guy that's left that can stop Derek Henry. So, like, it's up to you. And, Dare, you know, and, and Wolf for that amount of time did so. You know, he was great. And then he shouldered the blame when they broke loose and, and Henry scored the, you know, the overtime touchdown. And he was, you know, on the field face down. He was so frustrated with himself because he couldn't get off all the blocks. So that's, uh, you know, that's something that can't be understated or overstated enough is that they were missing two of their biggest trench work men the last time they faced. And uh, uh, it's going to be an absolute dogfight. At least I hope it's going to be. It's going to be fun. God, I don't want. It's going to be. It's, it's going to be. the Ravens win by 40. It's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. You know, like everyone's talking about like you and you guys opened like the segment with like, I, this was not the matchup I wanted to see from a perspective of like, okay, are they going to win? Like, obviously you're right there. Like I would have rather gotten the Colts, but like this is an exercise of the demons game, man. This is like giving me throwbacks to, I mentioned the 2000 Ravens America's game. Uh, give me, mm-hmm. give me some, you know, flashbacks to that. I think it's uh, a very fun matchup. One of the, burgeoning great rivalries in an NFL that really needs one. So I think uh, for the NFL's perspective and for perspective of a fan base that has uh, lacked a really strong rival the last couple of years, sans the Steelers here and there, I think this is the uh, the matchup that's got the most juice. Yeah. 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 Uh, on the bright side, uh, Roger Saffold, their best offensive lineman remaining after Luan's hurt and Conklin's in Cleveland. He looks like he's banged up. And Corey Davis Matt Cohen's boy, if you guys remember Matt from back, oh yeah, shout out Matt Cohen. Down bay days, uh, he was having a great year, and he's been awful the last two weeks. He's like dropping everything. Um, so you know, you know, you never know. Any any week, anything can happen. The Titans can have 19 sacks on the year and have five in one game. You never know. Uh, final thought before we get out of here, and I I'm cautiously optimistic about the Ravens in this week. And I think they have a real fighter's chance to to make a deep run this year. Um, uh, I think the long term, the X factor for this 
January uh, for the Ravens is going to be that th- uh, third wide receiver. Can Des Bryant or Miles Boykin or Devin DuVernay, can they step up and give you some chunk plays when you need them? Because if they can, this team can make it to the Super Bowl. Is Willie Sneed coming back healthy too? I think he will, but he's not necessarily a chunk play guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, he's the he's like the eight yard catch it while he's getting smashed. Catch and run. Catch and run. Yeah, yeah that's that's a chunk yeah. play. That's we a chunk need, play. Yeah, there needs to be some yak in this uh, in this game. I think that's uh, that's true. Um, my X factor is uh, is I think Lamar Jackson. Can he like he he answered the call against the Browns in prime time? It, can he do it this time uh, against the Titans? And can they? Can he just close this out and get the monkey off his back? That he can't win a playoff game, even though he's you know only been in two and he's just turned out to turn what twenty four tomorrow. You know his birthday's this week, so I think this is uh, I'm I'm a little more optimistic about this matchup than uh, than I was last time because I was I think because I was so confident last time I didn't consider just how like true the. Uh, the the titans were and how real deal they were this time i i feel like i'm i'm watching this game with more knowledge and more understanding of that they are they're such a better team than we gave them credit for last year at least that i gave them credit for last year so that's where my confidence level is at i think i'm optimistic and if you can beat the titans i think you can you, you match up like you said uh pretty well with everybody you say they match up even better with the bills i don't know about that but um, they have the corners and the bills can't run the ball or stop the run. And the Ravens have enough corners to cover the receivers. So I do. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think they can make a deep run if uh, you know, but you got to get this first one knocked out. Um, And there's no better time than right now to do it. All right, boys, any, any other final thoughts, any last words? Uh, looking forward to it. A double, triple header. Should be an awesome weekend. Uh, it's been a long week already. We still have, what, four or five more sleeps until we get oh, there. Can't wait. Yeah. Yep. Super wild card weekend. What a name. Super wild card weekend. I think I should add two more. <laughs> just, go, <laughs> just go, go all the way with it. Just, just go double, for quadruple it. quadruple header. Yes. We're going to have... 18 teams in the playoffs. The NFC East is sending the Washington put, football team and the Giants. Put, you could have put the Cardinals and the Dolphins in. That wouldn't have been terrible. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jake, you uh, ready to close this on out? Sure am. Uh, sounds like you actually have another media appearance that you uh, have to make here if you would like to plug that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I am going to be on Ken McCusick's film study in about 10 minutes. So, uh, yeah, so check out uh, Film Study by Ken. Ken's a great guy, um, and I'm excited to be on his show. I think Voss and Frank have both been on the show. Is that correct? Spencer, yeah, too, I think. Yeah, I've been on Ken's show quite a few times. Tell Ken yeah. I said hi. He does a great job. I will. So uh, that's going to be – that'll be dropping, I assume, tomorrow or the next day. Um, and, uh, as always follow this show, you know, at podcast beatdown. I'm going to steal a little bit of Jake stuff here at podcast beatdown. Uh, you can follow me at BB underscore Kyle P Barber. And the new thing that I've been doing a whole bunch of lately is been Twitch. Uh, you can follow the show where I live stream post game report stuff. And we're even playing some backyard football on there now. And Lamar Jackson's the quarterback on my backyard football team. That's a little bit of fun. 
twitch.tv slash Baltimore Beatdown. Voss, take it from me, please. And Twitch. <laughs> you can follow me at Vasilis Beatdown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S, B-E-A-T-D-O-W-N on Twitter. It's been great. And uh, hopefully we'll catch W and maybe we can do this again same time next week. Absolutely. You can follow me at Jake Luke. That is L-O-U-Q-E. Check out uh, our Instagram page as well, which Spencer does a great job with, Baltimore underscore beatdown. Got my Lamar Jackson Ghostface Killer mixtape up there today, so be sure to check that out as well. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it was, I, I appreciate that. Really appreciate everyone tuning in. Have yourselves a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you again very soon. All right. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry.